Hi, I'm James. And I'm Ria. And this is Ether and Icor, a podcast about the stories behind stories in folklore, fairy tales, mythology and the gothic. This week we're talking about Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah, everyone's favourite sad boy. Yeah, (laughs) he's just a sad boy. He is just a sad boy. The thing is, like, I wanted to talk about him because he does kind of have this reputation, (laughs) I guess, as... I don't know how to describe it, really. Emo? Yeah. But I think that genuinely what was going on with him was both very actually deeply sad. And Mm. he had a very interesting life. Mm -hmm. And I think he's a very interesting person Mm -hmm. in very sad ways often. Mm -hmm. But it's worth actually digging into his history and who he was. Mm -hmm. Because... It makes a difference. This is just me being like, kids, fairy tales are serious business, and I'm going to tell you how. (laughs) (laughs) I just have a lot of feelings. I really love Hans Christian Andersen. Actually, like, the very first fairy tale I remember reading, and it, like, just permanently rearranging the parts of my brain (laughs) and making me like this, Mm -hmm. was The Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. I picked it up in my second grade classroom. And it was a little purple book. And I just picked it up because I loved the movie. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to read the thing that was the movie. And it's not the movie. (laughs) It's very much not. And, like, I read that and it was so different from what I was expecting. But it just, like, how old was I in second grade? That's seven or eight. Mm -hmm. I was seven or eight. And it just broke my entire brain in half. And then put it back together the way that it is now. (laughs) And that inspired me to reading more fairy tales and getting every fairy tale I could get my hands on. Mm -hmm. And it is so deeply, deeply, deeply depressing and sad. Um, Even like just on its own, but also knowing the events of his life that inspired it. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I read it as a kid, but um, because I loved the movie. Yeah. And my nan bought me a VHS of a anime version Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, when did that come out? Late 70s or early 80s, this uh, Japanese anime, mm-hmm. Little Mermaid, which is a lot closer to the actual story. Mm-hmm. So I remember watching that and being like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but it's still very good. And the, the well, yes. design for the uh, sea witch in that fucks. Mm-hmm. She looks like a giant devil ray. It's <gasps> nice. so cool. But yeah, so that was my first thing of going like, oh... Well, this is really sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had a little intro on the video about Hans Christian Andersen and uh-huh. like uh, sort of panning over Copenhagen and the statue in the bay. Yeah. And then it like dissolved into the animation. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. Shall we talk about him yes, first before we get to talk his about stories? The man. Yes. Um, I do want to say right off the bat that a lot of this is retrospective, applying labels that do not apply in his own time Mm -hmm. part of it is out of necessity and part of it we will just try to be as thoughtful as we can about this but he had a lot going on and i think it's important to know about but i don't want to come off as sitting here like armchair diagnosing him Mm -hmm. (laughs) with things and that's a lot of the discourse around anderson really upsets me because it is so much armchair diagnosis yeah and 
I don't think we need to do that, but I do think that there are elements of things that show up in his stories that were definitely part of his life that mm-hmm. are worth discussing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's my disclaimer. So to kind of contrast him with the other fairy tale teller we've talked about thus far this season, Madame Dolnoy, she grew up very rich uh, and he grew up very poor. His father died when he was 11, Mm -hmm. but before that, um, he read him the Arabian Nights or the 1001 Nights when he was a child. His mother was illiterate, so he got the love of fairy tales from his father. Mm -hmm. His grandmother claimed that they were descended from royalty, which was not true. Like, it, it is just demonstrably untrue. But that's one of the things that, like, pops up in his own stories the ugly duckling of Mm -hmm. course is a swan egg that is raised with ducklings Mm -hmm. and it's very easy to see where that came from with his grandmother being like no we once we were royalty once Mm -hmm. we had everything we were beautiful and rich and everything was perfect yeah you You, may have been raised in the nest of a duck but you are really a a royal swan yes he was not and (laughs) i'm I'm fairly confident in saying he knew he wasn't, mm-hmm. but that making it into a story is interesting and cool. Mm-hmm. He attended a school specifically for poor children uh, who could not go to fancy academies and such, and he worked as a child uh, because he had to. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an apprentice at a number of jobs before he moved to Copenhagen at 14, and he started pursuing acting, which uh, he was by all accounts, pretty all right at for a mm-hmm. while. And then his voice broke. <laughs> yes, he had a lovely singing voice. Yes, and then a puberty. lovely soprano voice. Yes, and then puberty happened. <laughs> yeah. But apparently the director of the Royal Danish Theatre was so fond of him that even though he could not keep him on in the theatre, he sent him to school for writing, which is a very kind thing. Unfortunately, that school was like the worst experience of... Anderson's life, uh, by his own account. He said that school was the worst thing that happened to him. He was abused very badly. And what we're going to say is his depression, because it probably was, Mm -hmm. manifested perhaps for the first time known to him during this time. And it obviously inspired a lot of his writing, which is very obvious. (laughs) Throughout his life, he um, obviously the depression stayed with him because that's... A clinical thing it doesn't just go away yeah but from accounts from his like friends and acquaintances and failed romances everyone talks about his like manic highs and crushing lows and his moods changed really intensely and really quickly mm-hmm. obviously that is a number of things like that could be any number of things mm-hmm. I'm fairly confident in saying there's some form of mental illness happening there, but of course we have no way of knowing what that was. I'm going to say depression was at least comorbid with something, but, you know, we just have absolutely no way to say exactly what it was, only that it was something, Mm. and it very much affected him and his relationships with others. And it bothers me when people are flippant about that, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of that, you know, there's that famous story of him, like, receiving a rejection for a story and, uh, like, flinging himself face down on the lawn. And, like, number one, yes, it's kind of humorous and it's a real mood. 
for those of us out there submitting stories to things. But also, like, that is so sad. That is so sad to me that, like, he absolutely... He put everything of himself into every single minute that he had. And so something like that crushed him so badly Mm. that that was all he could do. And that, it makes me very, very sad. (laughs) We'll talk about the Snow Queen later in this episode, but I think that is such a good exploration of depression. Yeah. Whether or not he was conscious that that's what that was. And he also often returns to, like, depression is so present Mm. in so much of his work he keeps coming back to stories with this theme of sadness being impossible to overcome, except in death. <laughs> so you get the little match girl, the little mermaid. Terrible things happen for absolutely no reason. And they're just, they will absolutely destroy you and there's nothing you can do. As seen in The Steadfast Tin Soldier and The Snow Queen. Mm. And we've very, I almost put the Steadfast Tin Soldier in this episode because I really like that one. Mm. Um, like I said, it's awful things happen for no reason and there's nothing you can do about it. Really depressing. Also a really lovely story, I think. I really like it. Mm. But yeah, like there's so, there's so much soul-crushing depression in his work and I just wish that I could hug him. Yeah. Most of the discussion, of course, regarding his depression or whatever was going on focuses on his disappointments in his love life and people will try to like pin a label on him which i don't think is i mean number one it it isn't possible we've gone over that you can't really like say this historical figure was whatever mm-hmm. for <laughs> for for my money and i say this as a bisexual so maybe i don't have the most objective view on it but he reads pretty clearly bisexual to me. Yeah. I mean, he wrote impassioned love letters to women and men. Mm-hmm. He's not straight. He's not straight. There are people who try to claim that he was straight and that all of those love letters to men were just like really intense bromances. Mm-hmm. And it was really, you know, Jenny Lind who, who just, broke his heart. Just but guys being dudes. Just guys being dudes. For what it's worth, everybody talks about, you know, he had all of these people he was in love with who turned him down. And that's true. There were many of them. Again, men and women. But his journals depict one episode of several years. Well, his journals are very vague. Yeah. Uh, so we can't actually say. It could have been as much as two years, mm-hmm. but truly no way to say. At any rate, he refers to his, quote, erotic period. (laughs) That is a quote from Anderson about this time, to which I say, good for you, man. (laughs) You deserved it. With a male dancer named Harold Scharf. And he does not say very much in his journals other than this is his erotic period. Mm -hmm. You know, good job, man. But (laughs) he has a journal entry that says, Scharf has not visited me in eight days. With him, it is over. Which is very dramatic. And, like, I get where people are like, this is so funny. But, like, it is very sad. But also, this dramatic guy. I love him. Mm -hmm. I do love him. He was 58 when he wrote that, incidentally. It reads like something out of a teenager's diary. But this was when he was in his 50s. I just love him. Mm -hmm. I love him a lot. I did all of that talking. Do you have anything to say about him before we move (laughs) on to stories? (laughs) Um, That sounds like a no. 
No, go ahead. Not especially. <laughs> just, as you say, you know, you can't sit and put labels on yeah. somebody who's been dead for 150 years. But at the same yeah. time, it's just naive and deliberately obtuse to ignore things that are in front of you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you can't specify, but you can rule things out. Yeah. Like, he was not neurotypical and he was not straight. Yeah. We can say that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's this weird, like, because, you know, I have mental illnesses and I am queer. And so, obviously, seeing that in a fairy tale mm-hmm. teller, you could argue that it's me just wanting to be like, Haha, I do that. He's just like me for real. <laughs> He's just like me for real. But, you know, I think there's something to that, actually, mm-hmm. that, you know... I, I see it because it's there, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's... Same hat. It's same hat, and it's nice to look back at history and, like, see people mm-hmm. that you see yourself in. And I know there's, like, a degree, perhaps, of reading into it, but also I don't think that... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. I just think that he's great, and I love him, and mentally ill queers. Mm-hmm. Ooh. We out here. We're out here. <laughs> We were out there, and we're still out here. Shall we talk about the Snow Queen? Yeah. So the Snow Queen is one of my favorite fairy tales, actually. I know I said Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast are my favorites, but the Snow Queen is up there as well. Mm-hmm. And if all you know about the Snow Queen is Frozen, and you don't actually know anything about the Snow Queen, sorry to break that to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's not remotely the Snow Queen. I would love to see like a really good adaptation of it. There was one animated one with Eartha Kitt as the Snow Queen, mm. which is great. I say great. It's good. I love Eartha Kitt. Yeah. I would like another one. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so the Snow Queen. Isn't that like a Russian one? There is a Russian one. It's very pretty. Um, That's really all I can say about it. Okay. Like, it's not especially interesting, but it is very pretty. A lot of Russian animation is like that. Like, it's just gorgeous, but I wouldn't recommended on the strength of the story anyway so it is a very long fairy tale actually the literary fairy tales tend to be longer because mm-hmm. when things come out of the oral tradition they tend to be shorter so that you can remember the whole thing mm-hmm. <laughs> but the literary ones get very very long and i think the snow queen is the longest of anderson's yeah. tales very possibly it's divided into seven parts so the first part is kind of like the prologue and the devil creates a mirror which turns everything good reflected in it into something horrible everything beautiful looks ugly everything good looks evil all that sort of thing trolls because you've always got trolls in Mm -hmm. scandinavian stories took the mirror and they like flew up to the sky because they were going to take the mirror and like reflect it on heaven and Mm. make heaven look evil that's the sort of thing trolls get up to i guess just your normal Saturday night. Mm-hmm. It is actually really interesting to look at how troll stories in Scandinavia... I- I'm thinking more in the oral folklore yeah. realm, but obviously it has echoes here. When the Scandinavian countries became Christianized, the troll stories changed very substantially, and it's a very interesting thing to mm-hmm. look at. But yeah, so they take the mirror up to heaven to attempt to mock God, Mm -hmm. but they drop it and it shatters into thousands of little pieces and all the slivers of the mirror fall to the earth. And each sliver of the mirror still carries the power of the 
full mirror so that when the shards of it lodge in the eyes and hearts of people, they become unable to see the good in the world. And that's depression. Mm -hmm. That's just it. (laughs) You can look at anything good. You can look at all of the most beautiful things, the most wonderful things in your life, and you just cannot see what's good in them anymore. You just cannot see what's worth it. And that's that's depression. (laughs) And I always thought this story was the best case for Anderson's clinical depression, Mm -hmm. to be honest, because I have never read anything that felt so accurate. Mm -hmm. Anyway, second tale. (laughs) We're introduced to Kai and Gerda, who are a little boy and a little girl who live next door to each other. And there's like this lovely symbolism of the gardens in each of their houses, like grow toward each other. Mm -hmm. And so there are these rose bushes that intermingle and these trees curve in to form a little arch between their houses. It's Mm -hmm. really cute. And Kai and Gerda are inseparable. They're just best friends forever. Until this mirror thing happens and one of the slivers lodges in Kai's heart and another one in his eye. He becomes unable to see the beauty in the roses. He thinks that, like, he he says really nasty and mean things to Gerda. And they stop being friends. And Gerda's very sad about it because Mm -hmm. she's lost the best friend of her life. And that sucks. So because they're no longer friends, Kai is off playing by himself because he's nasty and mean to everyone and no one will be his friend anymore. And so during the winter, he's out playing by himself. And the Snow Queen drives up in her sleigh. And, like, she might as well have a tray of Turkish Delight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But she doesn't. (laughs) That is, I mean, that has to be where that came from. But, yeah, the Snow Queen comes and steals Kai away. Tale number three. (laughs) So Gerda notices that Kai is gone because they still live next door to each Mm -hmm. other. She notices he's gone. And she starts asking around I say asking around. She asks the sunshine, she asks the swallows, and she asks the river. Mm-hmm. Various bits of nature, like, hey, um, is Kai dead? Like, is he dead? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, no, he's not. And she's like, okay, well, where is he, though? And then no one will say anything. I like the bit with the river because she's like, okay, river, if you can tell me if Kai is drowned in you, I will give you my shiny new red shoes. And obviously the river doesn't say anything on account of it's a river. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she puts her shoes in the river because she's like, oh, well, I guess that's an answer. So here are my shoes anyway. And she puts her shoes in the river and they start to float away. Mm -hmm. But then the river brings them back. (laughs) And she's like, so he's not dead then. (laughs) If you're going to be asking questions questions this specific you need to ask things that can answer you yeah in in words yeah well to that end Mm -hmm. (laughs) she um heads out looking for him and ends up at the house and i have to quote the story here um she's in the house of an old woman who knows sorcery but is not a wicked sorceress christianization of the scandinavian (laughs) countries etc etc moving on um (laughs) Mm -hmm. listen she knows a little magic but she's totally cool don't worry about it (laughs) anyway uh gerda stays there for actually quite some time i think it is like a full year that Mm -hmm. she stays there and she gradually forgets kai every day that she's there like the memory of him slips away from her and then 
in the spring, the rose bushes in the old woman who knows sorcery but is not a wicked sorceress's garden start blooming. And when she sees the roses, she thinks of the rose bushes mm-hmm. between her and Kai's houses that grew together. And she thinks of Kai and she's like, oh, fuck, it's been like a year. <laughs> I need to get back to finding him. So she asks, and this is clever, I think. She asks the roses because they grow from the ground mm-hmm. if they have seen the body of Kai <laughs> buried in the ground, mm-hmm. which is just a real metal question. Mm-hmm. I love it. And the roses are like, no, he's not down here. <laughs> and she's like, cool beans. And then she leaves. There's a whole interlude where she is talking to each different flower in the garden and they don't have anything to say about Kai, but they all have like a little fun story for her. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that's cool. So nothing about Kai then? And they're like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, these literary tales do meander. You don't get the meandering in the oral tradition. Oh, yeah. I mean, you do, but not... Not like, and now we're going to stop for seven pages so we can go talk to each individual flower in the garden. I mean, it depends on who's telling the oral tradition. That's true, yeah. Somebody with ADHD. You are going to get a hell of a lot of tangents. (laughs) Fair point. (laughs) Yes, so eventually Gerda exhausts the garden and sets off in search of Kai once more. Fourth tale. Gerda meets a crow. This is a great one. I like the fourth tale. Um, This crow is pretty cool. Well, yeah, it's a crow. Yeah, crows are always cool. And the crow says that the princess of whatever kingdom Gerda is currently in, because, like, she's traveled for a bit now, so I don't know exactly where she's ended up. Um, But the princess of this land had decided that she wanted to get married, but she didn't want her husband to be boring. (laughs) And I already love her energy (laughs) so much. So she puts out an invitation to all the good-looking men of the land for them to come and talk to her. And if she likes their conversation, she thinks they're interesting enough, then she'll marry them. (laughs) And it's fantastic. And the crow, Gerda's like, so Kai went to this? And the crow's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the guy that she married. The guy that you're describing to me definitely sounds like the same guy. And Gerda's like, cool. Uh, so she goes to the palace and tries to find him, but it's it's not Kai. It's just some guy. He's like, who are you? Hmm. <laughs> Whoops. Fifth tale. <laughs> Gerda is kidnapped by robbers. It's another fun one. I like the fourth and fifth ones. They're fun. Uh, there's a little robber girl who Gerda makes friends with, and she's got a knife. Yeah. Yeah. She's very cool. The robbers have a reindeer that I think they've kidnapped or trapped in some way and the little robber girl keeps threatening the reindeer with the knife (laughs) she's like if you try to run away i'll stick you with this knife Mm. (laughs) but eventually the little robber girl and gerda gets talking and gerda tells her the whole deal and the reindeer says that the snow queen has taken kai to lapland and so the robber girl's like all right i will free you but you must take Gerda to Kai. Otherwise, I will stab you with my knife as established. The reindeer is like, fair trade. So the reindeer and Gerda go off toward Lapland to try to find Kai and the Snow Queen. Mm-hmm. Sixth tale. The sixth tale is a bit of a mess, so I'm just going to fix it with a headcanon. So we are introduced to two characters, the Lap wife and the Finn wife. Their husbands are never mentioned, so I'm going to say that they're married to each other, and that's nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Which one of you is the lap wife and which one of you is the fin wife? <laughs> hey, straight people, which one of you? <laughs> but yeah, like the lap wife just gives them directions. There's just no reason for her to be there. It's very weird. She's there with her wife. Well, yeah, that's the only reason. <laughs> but yeah, she just gives them directions and then that's it. And then they leave. The reindeer asks the fin wife if she has something that Gerda can use to defeat the Snow Queen. Possibly thinking of the little robber girl's knife. He's like, oh my god, Gerda doesn't have a knife. What are we going to do? <laughs> Clearly you need a knife to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. That's how the world works. But the Finn wife drops a plot point and says that Gerda's own sweetness and innocence are the most powerful weapons she could possibly have against the Snow Queen. So there is no weapon that Gerda could possibly need. I mean, I'd still feel better with a knife. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You can have your own sweetness and innocence and whatever, and, like, that's fine. But wouldn't you feel better with a knife as backup? Mm -hmm. I would. Seventh tale. (laughs) (laughs) This is the last one. So they get to the Snow Queen's palace, and they find Kai inside. They don't see the Snow Queen inside. And Kai is there, and he is, like, on the middle of a frozen lake. And he's sitting there with pieces of this little ice puzzle, and he's trying to put them together. We find out that he's been tasked with making the ice shards fit together to spell the word eternity. But because of the mirror shard in his eye, nothing looks right. So Mm -hmm. he can't put the puzzle together in a way that works, Mm -hmm. because everything looks different to him. I think at first he just, like, ignores Gerda, but eventually she starts crying And she, like, hugs him. And her tears melt the mirror shard in his eye and in his heart. And he, like, wakes up. And he has no idea. He completely doesn't remember this entire length of time that he's had the mirror shards. Mm -hmm. So he's just like, where am I? What's going on? I guess it's nice that he doesn't remember being a dick to Gerda. (laughs) Gerda has to remember it, though. Anyway, the ice puzzle pieces just spontaneously arrange themselves correctly. Uh, which That's is, nice. Yeah. And then Gerda and Kai leave the palace and they journey home together. And we get this whole like backwards journey. Like they go and visit the lap wife and the fin wife and they visit the little robber girl and they, vi- when they visit everyone on their way back home. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they end up back with their own little rose bushes in their garden. And it's lovely and nice. Mm-hmm. A rare happy ending for <laughs> Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah. It's very nice. I just like that one a lot. There's so much going on there and you can really have so much fun adapting, especially like the whole thing with the princess and the little mm. robber girl. <laughs> I want to see it. Yeah. I mean, even trimming it down, like just keeping the main story, nobody's bothered to do that properly. Yeah. I know they were saying that in Frozen, Elsa and Anna are Gerda and Kai, but like, no, they're not. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, there's a reindeer there, and, uh, yeah. (laughs) It's just, I think what they were trying to do with Frozen, they had already done better with Lilo and Stitch, Mm -hmm. number one. And number two, I really wanted an adaptation of the Snow Queen, which is what they sold me, which is not what they delivered. Yeah. And it was just never going to be anything but a disappointment to me, which is very, very sad. But I don't want to be a thing bad podcast, Mm. so let's uh, move on. Yes. Before we move on to The Little Mermaid, let's do some spirit conjuring. Yeah. We were thinking about, 
I say we. Mm-hmm. I have not discussed this with you. No. <laughs> um, I'm doing so much talking this episode. <laughs> I know, but this is your wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just talking so much. Well, you know, I did so much talking with Angel and Buffy. It's fine. That's true. Anyway, I was trying to think of a Snow Queen inspired drink, and I didn't really have any terribly good ideas. Mm. <laughs> um, I feel like vodka is a fairly reasonable choice. And because roses are so prevalent in the Snow Queen, like um, the roses keep reminding Gerda of Kai yeah. that like something with rose water might be nice. But then also, do I want to burn the rose reference now before we get to Beauty and the Beast? Because <laughs> I could really be shooting myself in the foot here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you were going to do a Snow Queen one, then, like, that that works. And, like, you could do sort of crushed ice for, like, the mirror shards. Ooh, yeah, I like that. You know, where you get those cocktails and it's, it's mostly just ice. <laughs> yeah. Those annoy me, though, like when you order them at a restaurant. But I like it thematically. But it's depressing. Here. Yeah. Oh, that's true. It's <laughs> mm, a fair point. You've paid six pounds for a cocktail and had maybe three sips before it's finished. Yeah. And then it's just ice. Yeah. Because I don't want to reinvent a cocktail that already exists, I was like kind of looking to see what Snow Queen cocktails were already out there. And there's a lot of like creamy, milky things because they're white like snow, right? I was just like, uh, I don't know. No, I will. I will say in terms of frozen that ice is better as a representation than snow. That's true. Yeah. Still not a not an adaptation, but uh, for a cocktail, <laughs> going with something ice rather than something creamy for snow is yeah. definitely the way to go. Although on the topic of textural <laughs> references in cocktails which is a terrible segue but i'm going with it i was also thinking about a little mermaid cocktail Mm -hmm. and i think i think i might be onto something with this one Mm -hmm. um because i was thinking and we're gonna we're about to talk about the little mermaid Mm -hmm. so i don't know spoilers if you have never read it but i I shouldn't even be warning you about spoilers like (laughs) i don't know anyway so at the end of anderson's little mermaid her body dissolves into sea foam. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, you know, those drinks that have like the whipped egg whites and you get like a little foamy thing on yeah. the top of them. I was like, that's a little morbid, but I also really like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what what would an uh, Anderson episode cocktail be if not a little morbid, a little depressing, but maybe also delicious and mm-hmm. fruity? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could put it in a fishbowl as well. I mean, you could. <laughs> Should you? <laughs> What's those drinks in The Alchemist that, like, change color? Oh, those are nice. I don't know what they put in them that do that, but that would be a cool idea. Yeah, I was just thinking, because for the, the transfiguration, mm-hmm. for the transness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, I was thinking of a gin fizz, because that has the egg white thing mm-hmm. going on. And apparently there is some sort of color-changing gin. Which would be perfect. Okay. So With when... the addition of citrus. And I was going to say I was thinking citrus in it. Number one, a gin fizz always has citrus yeah. in it. But also I was going through the actual text of The Little Mermaid. And the only 
fruit I could find mentioned is citrus and lemon trees Mm -hmm. that the mermaids see on the land. So, yeah, go nuts with citrus. The citrus is what changes this gin, apparently. Yeah, so so it's uh, illusionist gin. Mm Mm-hmm. We are not sponsored, but if you'd like to sponsor us, we're open. <laughs> there are a couple of different ones. Butterfly pea gin and Scottish bramble gin. Well, yeah, you can get any of these like color-changing gins mm-hmm. for the transformation aspect. Yeah, they usually have butterfly pea in them, but I like the idea for that one of which changes color when you add citrus so mm-hmm. if you want to be extra fancy and have something to uh, represent the transformation mm-hmm. you can do the color changing gin and then because the trees mentioned in the story are like they say lemon but also citrus mm-hmm. you can just put any citrus in there you can do lemon if if that's what you want to do and you don't want to do anything wild do lemon i was thinking maybe like tangerine Mm-hmm. Or blood orange. Might be fun. Blood orange is always fun. Mm-hmm. And just make a normal gin fizz with your little egg white sea foam on top. Mm-hmm. It's a little morbid. It's a little creepy. It's a little fruity. Hans Christian Andersen. Bosh. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've made a cocktail for it, shall we talk what about are we, the What are we calling it? Oh, um... Because she doesn't have a name in the... She doesn't have a name. You could call it a daughter of the air. That's nice. Yeah. We'll call it the Daughter of the Air. Okay. Which doesn't make sense unless you've read the story. So let's talk about that now. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. The Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. The King of the Sea has six lovely daughters who are each allowed to visit the surface on their 15th birthday. The youngest of them is the only one who super wants to go to the surface. The rest of them are just kind of like, I guess that's a thing we get to do. But every time when they come back from their 15th birthday trips, the youngest asks them to tell her everything. Mm -hmm. And so, like, we get... It it is another one of his longer stories. And it's one I don't mind so much being longer because I love all of the beautiful description of, Mm -hmm. like, everything each of her sisters saw. Mm -hmm. And you really get the sense of she's being told these stories and she's falling in love with a world she's never seen. She loves the people. She loves the citrus trees. She loves the buildings and the lights Mm -hmm. and everything about this world. And she cannot wait for her own birthday. And then it's her 15th birthday. She gets to go to the surface and she sees this handsome young prince and a storm hits his ship Mm -hmm. and he's going to drown, but he's too pretty to drown. (laughs) So she saves him. Thus far, very much like the Disney one, actually. Mm -hmm. Less comical animal sidekicks. but That's true. That's true. So she she saves him and he like does the same thing that he does in the movie where he like kind of vaguely wakes up and sees her, mm-hmm. but then like she disappears. He's swallowed a lot of seawater. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But she like keeps going up to the surface and she keeps watching him. Mm-hmm. And one day she asks her grandmother. Her mother is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they go into why she's dead, but she's dead. But their grandmother is still around. The Little Mermaid asks her grandmother if mortals die. Getting into the heavy stuff real quick, because it's Anderson. The grandmother tells her that mortals have immortal souls that live on after them, but mermaids have none. The only way that a mermaid can get a soul would be for a mortal to fall in love with her so deeply that the mortal's own soul divided between the two of them. Yeah, that's science. Yeah, 
so the mermaid goes to the sea witch because she's like, I want to try. I want to get him to fall in love with me and give me a soul and then we'll both die, but we'll live forever with this immortal soul. Mm -hmm. And the witch is like, that's really fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really appreciate the sea witch. Like, I love Ursula. I do. Mm. But the sea witch in Anderson's version is great. I just love her so much. Because she's very straightforward. Mm. She's not working any ulterior motives. She's not manipulating. She's just like, this is going to suck for you. It's going to hurt the whole time. And you're not going to get the ending you want. Mm. And you'll never get to come home. You'll never get to see your family again. Every part of this is stupid and will suck. Mm -hmm. Do you still want to do it? And the mermaid says yes. Mm -hmm. She's like, okay. Just, I want you to know (laughs) how stupid this is. All right, let's go. She's no good. She's not kind. She's, She's just, just right. right. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> yes. So the mermaid does lose her voice in payment to the witch uh, for this one. But instead of like a little magical, I mean, there is a little magical potion to give her legs. But instead of losing her voice to it, the witch just cuts her tongue out. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. So she gets her legs. She washes up on shore and the prince takes her into the palace and I will say for for Prince Eric, he's very similar (laughs) to the prince in the story. He's like, wow, you look just like that girl that saved me that time. You couldn't be her, though, because you don't talk. We love a himbo in this house. (laughs) I just, I I love Prince Eric a lot. (laughs) (laughs) She's very well taken care of in the palace, and the prince is very fond of her, but he thinks of her as, quote, a dear good child, end quote, end Certainly not a wife, which is unfortunate, but not unforeseen. Yeah. And there's another princess that he mistakes for the woman who saved him. And I guess she's just like, yeah, I absolutely am the woman who saved you. Good catch, Prince Himbo. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he marries her. Departing from the Disney version in which the marriage is averted. No, he marries her in this one. And so the Little Mermaid watches all of this happen is like well when the sun next rises i will just die and i won't get to like i'll just die so the on the wedding night she's like out moping somewhere and her sisters come to the palace and like the witch had told her if this fails there's nothing you can do but her sisters were so desperate they went to the witch themselves and bargained with her and managed to get this magic knife. If the youngest mermaid kills the prince with it, it will make her a mermaid again when his blood touches her feet. Yeah, they, they sell their hair, don't they? I, I think, think so. They cut off the hair. They did in the anime version. I think it's mm. the, the, that's from the... Yeah. The sea witch has got a sideline in wig making. <laughs> <laughs> What's she doing with the tongue, then? That's her business. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so she, the mermaid takes the knife up to the prince's bedroom, but she sees how happy he is with his wife, and she just cannot bear to kill him. So instead, she throws herself into the sea, where her body dissolves into foam. And then something unforeseen happens. She expected from what her grandmother and the witch had said that she would just cease to exist, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't. She feels herself, like, rise up into the air. And there are other beings around her, other voices. And she's like, hey, what the fuck is (laughs) happening? And they say that they are the daughters of the air. And they are beings without 
immortal souls who can win souls with good deeds. And because the mermaid, the youngest mermaid, had such a des- such a powerful desire for one, mm-hmm. she has somehow become one of the daughters of the air. Mm-hmm. So they live on in like cool breezes on people who live in very hot climates and they like just do little kindnesses whenever, wherever they can. And eventually the idea is they will do enough of these to win a soul Mm -hmm. and live forever. But there's like a weird little moral at the end. It's like, if you do something bad and you make someone cry, then the daughters of the air get a year added to their sentence. (laughs) Or something like that. So, gotta behave, kids, or the Little Mermaid doesn't get to go to heaven. Yeah. I mean, I like the thing of earning a soul through good deeds mm-hmm. rather than you have to make somebody fall in love with you enough to share their soul with you. Like, no. Yeah, like, I get where... Like, it's not dependent on somebody else. It's your own actions. That... Yeah. That That is genuinely better. I do love the hopeless romantic thing that Anderson has going mm-hmm. on, where, like, being in love with someone is, like, one soul in two bodies. Mm-hmm. Like, I get where he's coming from with that, and it's lovely and beautiful. It is messed up. <laughs> it can be both these things. Yeah, it's very, it's very ancient Greek. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, yes, because this was inspired by uh, his... Love for and rejection by mm-hmm. Edvard Cullen, who was so in love with his wife. And Anderson saw that and was just like, well, I guess it's fine that I can't come between that because they're so happy. Which is sad. Yeah. But... I mean, there's a reason. There is just this connection between queerness and mermaids. Yeah, that actually goes back. There's a... I mean, obviously it happens for a lot of reasons, but Mm. there's a goddess, I want to say she's Babylonian, at Argatis, who is like a mermaid deity who changed sex. Mm. And so like the trans mermaid connection has been there for a very, very, very long time. Mm -hmm. Obviously I can't say as to Anderson. I think like some people have pointed to bits in his journal where he talks to... Or not his journal, but in like letters to actually, I believe Edvard Collin, but mm-hmm. also other people that he was in love with. I should say specifically men he was in love mm-hmm. with. That he would say, "My love for you is like my love for a woman," mm-hmm. or it would be like the love of a woman. Mm-hmm. And so, like some people have said, that reads trans, and maybe it does. I know, like further back, there's a there's less distinction between sex and romantic gender leanings and it's not really my place to say anything about that but there's a lot going on with anderson and again we can't define any of it because he didn't and the terms did not exist so but even without like bringing gender into it just queer identities and feeling like you're more drawn to a world that is not the one that you were made for specifically and like that it's hard to fit in there yeah there's absolutely a reason that queer people in general are drawn to mermaids mm-hmm. <laughs> 100% and that's going to mean different things to different people it means something different to Anderson than it does to me mm-hmm. for example but that's one of the things where like 
I feel very strongly that the diversity of the queer community is a good thing and that we all have different experiences. There is not one queer experience mm -hmm. and all of our experiences are valid. And a lot of us are drawn to mermaids in very different ways, but mm -hmm. we all have something in there and that's great. That's good. I like it. Fairy tale queers and mermaids throughout the years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Me and Anderson handshake emoji. Mm -hmm. this, this was the thing that I watched on repeat as a kid. Like, mm -hmm. um, my fourth birthday party mm -hmm. was, like, pictures of like, Chuck E. Cheese and, like, I have um, a Little Mermaid t-shirt <laughs> and, like, so many Little Mermaid toys. Were you still in Florida then? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You said Chuck E. Cheese. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. That, was, that one was in Florida, yeah. Uh -huh. And I had just generic mermaid toys as well. Mm -hmm. And there's a picture of, I mean, is it probably at Disney? there's like a woman dressed as a mermaid and the photo is really funny to look back at um as like a grown-up because uh -huh. like i there's a dude on the bench like a random dude on the bench who was <laughs> clearly hitting on this mermaid oh, lady no. while she was at work because it's just some dude in a suit um but i'm like hello mermaid i would like a photo with you <laughs> i love mermaids and she's like thank you i will do my job and thank you child oh. for distracting and there's just this awkward dude in the photo as well yeah god and that hasn't changed mm -hmm. like that still fucking happens mm -hmm. She's at work, my guy. Yeah. And you know she can't leave. She has a tail on. You're a jerk. <laughs> I'm glad I clock-clocked you. <laughs> yeah, because fucking security's asleep, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that guy knows I hate him. <laughs> yeah. That's just asking to get drowned. Yeah, genuinely, we as a society need to bring back the, like, mermaids will drown you shit. Because, you know, I feel like people would be less shitty if they were thinking, you know, if I'm a dick here, maybe a mermaid will pop out of the sea and drown me. There's a very limited... <laughs> <laughs> there's a very limited... Um, Range of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I go down to the beach all the time and people are being dicks all the time. And I just think... That if people thought more about mermaids popping out of this, the North Sea, like we got silkies up here, mm -hmm. they're going to pop out and they're going to drown you and you're going to deserve it. And I think if we kept that in mind, that people would not be so annoying to me personally. <laughs> <laughs> That's my opinion. There was no way to like end the Anderson <laughs> episode on an up note, was there? It's just really sad the whole time. Except for his erotic period. Yes, let's end on the erotic period. <laughs> <laughs> there there was a period of time in Hans Christian Andersen's life where he was having a real good time. I think every artist should get an erotic period. Yes. May you all have <laughs> uh, Danish male dancers <laughs> for a period of up to two years. There's other Anderson stories that we could talk about, but you know We've, we, we, we do really not wanted to talk about the red shoes. Yeah, uh, but we are already over an hour, mm -hmm. and I think if we had included the red shoes, like this would oh, just yeah, be unmanageable. Yeah. But we'll, the red shoes is really good, and you should check it out. And we will maybe mm -hmm. do an episode on it in the future. Mm -hmm. I would like to shout out to the Matthew Bourne ballet yes. of it, um, which we saw. We did years which ago. Is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I actually like that better than the movie. Yeah. Like, the movie's really good. I really like the aesthetics of the movie. Like, the lighting and the staging is mm -hmm. really, really and good. And the choreography. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah the, the Matthew Bourne one is really... The ballet is just very intense. And mm -hmm. I just... 
like dance as a storytelling medium. Yes. I do have a fun fact about the Red Shoes. So the main character of the Red Shoes is named Karen. Mm -hmm. And Hans Christian Andersen had a stepsister named Karen, who he hated. (laughs) (laughs) So have that (laughs) a little factoid. (laughs) Oh, dear. He knew. Yeah. Oh, he 100% did it on purpose. Mm -hmm. No, I meant he knew that Karen would become used as a derogatory uh, term. He was the first. Hans Christian Andersen invented Karen derogatory. (laughs) (laughs) I've connected the dots. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) That's all from us this week. Keep in touch on Twitter at Ether and Icor. Email us at etherandicor at gmail.com or join the Discord server Happy Haunt. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can subscribe for additional content on Anchor, Ko-fi, or Patreon. Leave a review on Podchaser and find merch on TeePublic. We'll be back in two weeks talking about sisters. For now, we'll lift a glass and say goodnight. Pleasant dreams. Pleasant dreams.